CES Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome to Lake Kick is live. It is Sunday night, April 10th, the year of our Lord 2022. If it is spring intel and meat and potatoes you want, I promise you, you are going to leave this show full for many reasons. Some spring games are wrapping up, but we're finally starting to get some juice from our boots on the ground, so to speak. Extensive network of team site insiders here at 24-7 Sports and beyond. And so we're able to leverage that for your benefit. So we're going to talk a lot about a lot of programs tonight. A lot of them. You're going to get everything that you need and then some here. Jam-packed, high atop, sun-soaked downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Got the whispers and intel from spring, but also a very, very stirring debate brought upon by one of your questions about Miami's dynasty, Alabama's dynasty, and which one was hated more? I'm in the minority, but I promise you I'm right. We'll get to that in due time. Uh, Some quotes from a certain SEC defensive coordinator that I'm really going to need a lot of you to pay attention to. Also... If you have a problem with Dabo Swinney, some of you do, some of you are on board with his way of thinking, some of you are just morally opposed to everything that comes out of his mouth, that's fine, but he's got some things to say, and I therefore have some things to say about what he has to say tonight. They're watching us in Dublin, Ireland. They're watching us in Richardson, Texas. I'll be out that way, apparently if the forecast models hold, a little bit later this week. Jessup, Georgia. And you know where else they're watching us. Jesse and Colin, they're watching us in Houston, but they're not just watching us any old where in Houston. They're watching us in the port of Houston. Take a look at this. The thing you need to know about me as we kick the show off, and I've talked about this before, is I don't like parties. I don't even celebrate my own birthday. I try not to even let people know it's my own birthday. Yeah, that's us playing right there in the port of Houston. Had one of you send video. Uh, that, is, that is a container ship that is hauling containers, intermodal containers, that for all I know, I ended up hopping when they eventually made their way to rail travel. So it's always good to hear from you guys, but we had not yet heard from anyone at a port. And so I had to include it. If you have video of uh, any unique spot that you happen to be listening to or watching the show from, I am more, more than willing to take those kinds of submissions and put them on air. I wanted to mention before we go on to shift the tone entirely, a lot of you, all of you are aware by now, Dwayne Haskins was killed yesterday down in Florida, I believe. And so when we have especially people pass away prematurely that were associated with our game, I don't really like to take a somber tone on the show. There's plenty of time for that. There are plenty of places they're doing that. What I always like to do is very quickly tell you what comes to my mind. And I'll tell you what comes to my mind. When I remember Dwayne Haskins, I remember that season, not too long ago, that 2018 season, when I found myself at the end of the year, and I know many of you Buckeye fans felt the same way, you're looking at Ohio State, and if you were like me, you were thinking, how is this team 13-1? and Like, how did this happen? When did this happen? It was because of Dwayne Haskins, and he starts one year and just rewrites all the record books, wins a Big Ten championship, 
Ohio State, that was Urban Meyer's last season. They go on to the Rose Bowl, and they win the Rose Bowl, got out to a big lead, ended up holding on. But, man, what a season that was. And it just turned on a dime. His, his playing career turned on a dime. And then, unfortunately, on the backside of things, his life turns on a very unfortunate dime. And so it ends tragically. We all hate the way it ended. Um, but the way I'll choose to remember Dwayne Haskins was that year. And a lot of what he did for a lot of people, because I'll tell you, those of you around the program know, but maybe nationally, you never heard his story. And his story was all the way from the time he was a little kid wearing that Buckeye jersey and when Jim Tressel was there visiting and fulfilling that dream and then overcoming some struggle and fulfilling the dream of starting and taking that and running with it and ended up being a first-round draft pick. So, I mean, it was, it was a model that I hope was paid attention to by a lot of guys who have dreams of their own uh, because there are folks out there living like that every single day. Dwayne Haskins was a guy whose poster you would want on the wall when you were telling that kind of story. So rest in peace, Dwayne Haskins, and prayers to his family and a lot of folks associated with the program up there. I know a lot of people are hurting. Talked to some of you yesterday. I know a lot of people are hurting about that right now. But Dwayne Haskins, that's how I'll choose to remember him. I wanted to wait for the show tonight to really talk about that. Okay, let's dive in tonight. We got a long way to go. Spring Intel and Whispers, one of the best segments we do, one of your favorite segments. And Colin, here is your endpoint. Spring Whispers and Intel, some spring games already wrapping up, but we've got juice from like half a dozen or more programs right now. So I want to get it to you really, really quickly. Georgia, first off today, there's some breaking news. So a couple of the rumors that you've been hearing about, they're official. Uh, Five-star offensive lineman Amarius Mims in the transfer portal. Ditto for Clay Webb from a couple of cycles ago in the transfer portal. And now you see what the consequences of success are all about. Two things are true here. Number one, Georgia will forever have to worry about talented players leaving the program via the transfer portal. The other thing that's true is they're probably always going to be fine even after it happens. This is number 10 and now number 11 for the record that have entered the portal since they won the national championship. So you can either look at that as a bad thing or a byproduct, aka the consequences of success that we talk about here all the time. They deal with it at Bama. They will be dealing with it at A&M. They'll be dealing with it at Southern Cal. They deal with it anywhere there is any kind of high-level success. But I don't want to talk about that tonight so much. I want to talk about the quarterback position. Because if you thought, ignorantly so, that just watching Georgia win a national championship and the quarterback be named MVP of the game was enough to quiet a lot of the quarterback drama around this program, you were wrong, friend. Take that common sense. Ball it up and throw it out the nearest window. What's happening here is kind of entertaining if you're not so wrapped up in it. I, I, the best way I can summarize this is the same way Kirby Smart did throughout the majority of last year. When Kirby Smart had to look at a lot of people when they were asking him, whether they were reporters or fans. That at the time, they were talking about JT Daniels and when's he going to be put back in the mix over Stetson Bennett. And Kirby kept saying, I'm playing the guy who gives us the best chance to win. Well, here we are. There is a big difference in what you want to be true and what is true. What a lot of Georgia fans want to be true is for there to be a better option than Stetson Bennett, even after the guy won the national championship. They want there to be a better option. They want either Carson Beck or Brock Vandergriff to have taken the next step because they had more stars next to their name. Maybe they got more arm talent. Whatever the physical characteristics you think they possess that gives them a higher ceiling may be, you want them to take the job by the throat. That's what you want to be true. What is true 
in the national championship game, in the month leading up to the national championship game, and probably moving forward is Stetson Bennett still the best quarterback on this team? And Stetson Bennett probably still gives you the best chance to win. But there's a Venn diagram that basically makes up a perfect circle at this point. And the Venn diagram is in circle A, the folks who swore to you the only way Georgia was going to make any noise in the playoff was JT Daniels being inserted at quarterback and Stetson Bennett being benched. And then there's circle B over here. And that is even after you've seen the national championship win, it's either got to be Beck or Vandergriff. I mean, there's no way Stetson Bennett can still be the best quarterback on this team. And then you overlap them. And that's a perfect circle. There's what you want to be true, and then there's what is true. And as of today, all the reputable people around this program, including the head man, will tell you the same thing. Stetson Bennett gives them the best chance to win. I'll tell you a name that stands out as we move on from Georgia here, though. Eric Gilbert. Remember last year, he came there through the transfer portal by way of LSU, and then he was out. And he was dealing with stuff off the field the entire year. Well, Eric Gilbert is now back. He's moved back to his familiar position of tight end. Playing around 270, going to have to lose some weight, but early returns are positive. Still got a long way to go, but early returns are positive, so keep an eye on that. Let's head up the road a bit to Clemson. They had their spring game yesterday. About 35,000 people showed up. They had 17 players held out. A lot of takeaways here. We're going to rapid-fire run through them. Defense had 13 total sacks in this thing. There were, I think, 22 tackles for loss. That would be like a good month, and they had it yesterday. So there was not much offense to speak of. I still cannot be sold on the wide receiver position here. I don't know how anyone could. Nada clearly looks to be their best option. But outside of the tight end position, which looks pretty good, I, I don't know that you could draw any conclusions from the spring game yesterday. And I don't know, therefore, that you can draw any conclusions moving forward as to whether that passing game, and especially the, the, the deep threats and the perimeter skill, will be resurrected to the degree that it used to look. Because it ties right back to quarterback. And when it comes to the quarterback position, I got to be completely honest with you. I listened to what Dabo Swinney said after the spring game yesterday, which was, quote, DJ Uyangalale is definitely our starter. He had a great spring. He hasn't done anything to not be the starter. I listened to that, and I think to myself, I don't see any definite starter. <laughs> At least I didn't when I watched the spring game yesterday. Now, the spring game is the spring game. It's a fool's errand to draw definitive conclusions from that. I'm doing quite the opposite. I'm not drawing any conclusion. I'm sitting here telling you I think that thing's wide open. And I think Kay Klubnick definitely poses a real threat to ending up being the starting quarterback on this team because some of the same issues that you saw last year still seem to be plaguing DJ Uyangalale. It's not a bad quarterback. I'm not telling you he is. There's that group out there that either thinks you're great or you suck. I'm not saying either one of those things about DJ. What I am saying is if accuracy continues to be a problem, and you don't have half a dozen bail-me-out receivers, the likes of which Trevor Lawrence played with, seems like a long time ago, you got pocket presence like Klubnik has, you got awareness, you got better accuracy, which I think he has, than DJ. That's the recipe for a quarterback competition. So Dabo says he feels good about both of them. I do too, so much so that I don't think this is decided, even though he's the head coach there. I don't think that Uyangalale is definitely the starter. We'll see. Uh, moving on, Auburn. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Those are the first two comments I want to have made about Auburn football so far this spring. This could be the most up-in-the-air quarterback race in America. Find me a better one because we've got three names here. I don't think the true, for the record, as I tee this up, I don't think the true freshman is going to be included there. So TJ Finley's in the mix, obviously. Uh, Zach Calzada transferred in, didn't get to work a whole lot because of injury this spring. Robbie Ashford, the Oregon transfer, is in the mix here. And you could probably 
If you walk the streets down there, you could probably do a man on corner segment or a man on street segment where over 10 minutes you could find people who promise you all three of them are going to start for Auburn this year. It's totally up in the air. I don't think that coaching staff has the slightest clue who their starter is going to be. Uh, Brian Harson essentially said as much yesterday. It's tough to gauge, though, because their perimeter skill is lacking. For that matter, they got depth issues all up and down this roster. It is going to be Tank Bigsby's team. That's no mystery, but that's why people made such a big deal about it when that running back, that horse running back they have, Tank Bigsby, when he did not enter the transfer portal, although there were rumors circulating that he was, that's why it was such a win. That's why it was a big deal that Harson talked him out of it. Because if they didn't have him, the over-under win total for this team is already going to be at or just south of bowl contention, six wins, five wins. It'd be less than that if they didn't have Tank Bigsby. But I will tell you this, they have issues at Auburn that feel kind of similar to what Florida State's dealing with right now. You've got a new-ish coaching staff in there, still dealing with some of the depth and attrition issues that the previous staff left them. And they've got critical issues, places like offensive line, places like wide receiver, and they're finding that it takes more than one cycle and it takes more than one swing or two through the transfer portal to replenish a roster. That's why people make such a big deal about it. And the Xbox crowd listens to that and it goes totally over their head because you can hit reset in that world. You can't hit reset in this world. When you try and hit reset in this world, you got to pay a big buyout first off, then you got to pay a new staff, but then you got to sit there and you got to wait. And that's in a perfect environment. Then imagine if half the administrative types and booster types are trying to oust you after one year. That's the task they have at hand at Auburn. So I don't, I don't get great vibes from down there right now, but at the same time, I do love the vision that Harson has. I like the way he carries himself. I like the way he's trying to run the program. Is he going to be given enough time? Because they don't have what they need right now. Is he going to be given enough time? That's the big question there. At Nebraska, I wanted to touch on them for a second. They have not been over 500 since 2016. I have to look down to make sure I say that right. Since 2016. Guys, that's quite a while ago. Now that I think about it, they have not been over 500. And yet they had over 54,000 at the spring game yesterday. And believe me, I sat through it so you didn't have to. This was not the most entertaining of spring games. And the crowd still showed up there in Lincoln. Hoped to see more of Casey Thompson. For those not keeping track, yes, that is former Texas starting quarterback Casey Thompson, who is now transferred to Nebraska. I think he will be their starter. He threw the ball like four times yesterday, so it's certainly not because of what we saw in the spring game. But Chubba Purdy is a name that transferred in from Florida State. You saw more of him yesterday. And I think if you just watched the spring game or you just listened to maybe Twitter rumors, you'd probably think that this is a dead heat quarterback battle. The intel we get from Nebraska is that's probably not the case. Probably Casey Thompson's job. I am a believer that it is Thompson's job to lose. Not decided, but I do believe it's Thompson's job to lose. But the big question you see everyone asking when you watch Nebraska's spring game and you get intel from spring practice and Scott Frost does his media availability is all tied to the same question. Are we going to make a bowl game? So Nebraska famously was 3-9 and nine last year. And they had eight of those nine losses by one possession. And then the ninth loss, I think, was by nine points. So they very nearly had nine losses, all one possession. So I ask this. Think of the sharpest football mind you've ever known. Go find the best scout you have ever known or heard of. And I want to ask them a question. When everyone asks, are they a bowl team? Are they a bowl team? 
The sharpest football mind in the history of this game does not have the skill to watch a team in spring and know whether a bounce or two of the ball exists per game that will thrust them from a three-win caliber team to a seven-win caliber team. Because that's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about a team losing by multiple scores because of one glaring position weakness. You know, if they didn't have any offensive linemen last year, or if they didn't have any quarterback, and then they got a magical transfer or a couple of magical transfers in, it'd be easy because you'd just be scouting one position group. That wasn't the case with Nebraska last year. Quite literally, they were one bounce in eight games plus away from all those games turning. So how do you watch a spring game and know if that's changed or not is my point. Uh, they're going to be competitive again. They opened the season, by the way, in Ireland. We shouted out Dublin earlier. They opened there, I think, against Northwestern. Where else would you want to see Nebraska play Northwestern, aside from Dublin, Ireland? Seems like peanut butter and jelly. It's just a natural fit there to me. We continue. Let's head back down south for a second. Alabama, and I'm going to tell you something that is going to shock you right now. Nick Saban hit multiple home runs in the transfer portal. And now your mouth hangs wide open. And I want you to pick that jaw up off the ground. Yes, Alabama has lucked out again. They just happened to take a shot in the dark and hit on Jermaine Burton, who uh, you can go ahead and pencil in for a thousand plus receiving yard season if he maintains health. That's the transfer at wide receiver from Georgia. Because yes, we live in a world now where you beat a team in the national championship one day and then go play for them the next day. Yes, friends, that's the world we live in now. But Jameer Gibbs is a name I want to talk to you about. That's the running back transfer from Georgia Tech. I've had someone in the world of scouting, since we were just talking about that, tell me that was the best player in the ACC last year. It's a lofty statement. And he transfers to Alabama. What I didn't tell you at the time that I'll tell you now is he got there in the middle of national championship preparation. Let me tell you what Nick Saban did with him. On the first day that Jameer Gibbs stepped on campus, he put him in with the ones. Then he ran him against the one defense. And let me tell you what Jameer Gibbs did on day one in a crimson uniform, even at practice. He put jaws on the ground too, but not in a sarcastic way, in quite literal a way. He's the best running back they have on the roster. He was the moment he walked in. Now they have very good running backs there. To remind you, Trey Sanders is two years removed now from that car wreck that nearly took his career away from him. Once upon a time, he was the number one back in the nation. Jace McClellan, I love, who was a stud before he got hurt last year. He'll be back. Roydell Williams, another really dependable, solid running back. He'll be back. So they're fairly loaded at running back. But Jameer Gibbs is a very special player. And I'll tell you what else is special. Their pass rush. So much so that they sit here in spring just openly talking about ways that we can get Will Anderson and Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell on the field at the same time, maybe in a dime defense look. They are going to harass quarterbacks. The, the real question about this team, I'm not calling it a weakness. I am very intentionally calling it a question, is the offensive line situation. Kendall Randolph, for example, is that a guy cut out to play left tackle in the SEC? J.C. Latham, former five-star offensive lineman, now two years into his college career, is he a guy ready to lock down a right tackle position in the SEC? I think they'll be okay on the interior, but those are some very first-world problems that we're monitoring at Alabama. Now we get to a team that you accuse me of being a homer of, and I never deny it. I'm fine with it. The entire set's blue. Why not? What about North Carolina? 
I saw our buddy Brad Powers talking about them a little bit today on Twitter.com, and he, I think, is thinking the same thing I am, and that is, I think a lot of us were a year too early on them. Said that a number of times already this spring. But Mac Brown made some interesting comments yesterday. He said, there's a big difference in what we did last year and what we've done this year so far. And he went a step further. He said, there's a big difference in participating in spring practice versus competing in spring practice. They went full tackle to the ground the entire spring, which I know it sounds commonsensical, but it's very rare this day and age. And North Carolina has had, by all accounts, an extremely physical, competitive spring session. Uh, it's not something that you take for granted these days, and it's not something they had last year. And you could hear, you could sense it in Mac Brown's voice as they lost to Virginia Tech. He was very quick that opening weekend, remember, to find the nearest microphone and say, I guess now we can actually get down to work because a lot of you who overrated us don't really have to worry about that anymore. I guess a lot of those preseason expectations are out the window. Now we can get to work. Now, look, that's ultimately his job. That's ultimately that coaching staff's job. I'm not making excuses for him, but reality was reality. It sounds like they have a different mentality there. Less is going to be expected of them. I think they'll end up being better this year than they were last year. Now, they, I mean, what were they last year? So I understand that's not exactly a loaded statement. But the quarterback competition here is very real. We have talked about this before. Drake May is a guy I think most people have still penciled in to start for them. But Jacoby Criswell is not a guy going away. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It sounds like we're going to be talking about it for a while. Those are two guys they can win with. I feel like ultimately, come fall, those are going to be two guys plenty capable enough to win with. But let me just mention two names to you. If you follow recruiting, you already know them. Zach Rice, who was a five-star offensive tackle they got, they hit on him. They hit on him. True freshman starter, they hit on him. Uh, the other one is five-star defensive lineman, Travis Shaw. They hit on him. A couple of studs. You talk to people who are over there, it takes them about five seconds before they say, yeah, quarterback, whatever. L let me tell you about Travis Shaw. Let me tell you about Zach Rice. Those guys are no doubters. So the, the evals over there, the recruiting over there, it hasn't dropped off. The expectations will, and that's okay. We're going to take a shot on North Carolina this year. What about Florida State? They had their spring game yesterday, kind of a practice format. Still had about 30,000 folks there. The overall feel I get after spring in Tallahassee is Mike Norvell still does not have the horses he needs to run Mike Norvell's offense. Everyone is going to watch Florida State this year, and at some point, whether they're winning close or losing close, and I do think they'll be competitive either way, they'll be saying to themselves, when's Norvell going to run that Memphis offense here? Well, he can't yet. I don't think he has the players yet. I don't think he has the receivers yet. Truth be told, I don't think he has the quarterback. There's a lot of hope that A.J. Duffy eventually is that guy. Dude was one for eight yesterday. It's just not there yet. That doesn't mean it won't be there, but he's very young. So it's just not there yet. I don't know that, I don't know that Jordan Travis, for example, who is a QB1 there, I don't know that he possesses the perfect skill set to do what Mike Norvell wants to do. Those are some of the uh, bad news, glass half empty type takes, but also offensive line, not a, exactly a stellar unit there. You can talk about all that, but here's the good news. Again, it looks like they have hit across the board virtually via the transfer portal. So yesterday, for example, Trey Benson is a running back transfer who carried it, what was it, uh, seven times for 77 yards yesterday. He, he's a guy who's going to be a big-time contributor for them. I think Micah Pittman, receiver, big-time contributor, should be for them. Uh, Jared Verse, defensive end, big-time contributor for them. They've got 
I don't know, probably half a dozen or more out of the portal this past cycle who were going to be immediate contributors. They're going to need them. And that's good news. The bad news is you're in a position where you have to have them. They're also in a position where there's no way they're done in the portal yet. I mean, they've been banged up on the offensive line, but still, even if fully healthy, I don't think they're where they want to be along that position group. Same thing as we talked about with Auburn. You don't just snap your fingers after one or two years and make all the problems that the other staff got fired for go away. That's not the way it works. So they continue to work down there at Florida State. But I'll tell you the same thing that everyone close to the program says. When you talk to folks close to Florida State, they tell you a couple things. They'll tell you in some combination of phrasing the same thing I just did, whether it be this position group or that position group, we're not there yet. Um, They're going to struggle here. They're going to struggle there. But then they follow it up with, but they're improving. Like, no one doubts that around Florida State. Everything is improving. It's not always linear. It's not always completely in a a perfect straight line, but they're improving. So so what do you do? Do do you throw Mike Norvell and his staff out the door if they don't win eight or nine games this year? Even if you see improvement? I don't think so. So they've given him time and space so far. I, I think they need to continue to do so. It's not that there's any smoke down there or hot seat talk, but I'm just saying... If they win seven games this year, you know what the talk will be. But yet, if they've shown improvement in doing so, I'm think, I think it's going to be a more nuanced conversation is what I'm saying. What about Ole Miss? Remember, they had the top overall transfer portal class. Now, you all remember that. But you also remember that once spring comes, not all of them pan out. Well, at Ole Miss, they're pretty much all panning out. Jackson Dart was the most high profile in nature. That's the USC quarterback who transferred to Ole Miss. There's a big quarterback competition here as well. The widely held assumption out there is it's a not if, but a when sort of scenario as to when Jackson Dart's eventually going to be the starting quarterback at Ole Miss. And I'll just put it to you like this. I still also believe it'll ultimately be Jackson Dart, but Ole Miss insiders would tell you if they had to play a game today, it wouldn't be. It'd be Luke Altmaier. Now that's not shocking. Altmaier's been in the system. Uh, Jackson Dart got there 15 minutes ago. But here is what you take solace in. If Jackson Dart does not end up being the starting quarterback here, it's not going to be because he blew it. It's going to be because he just flat out got beat for the job. That's a good thing because you know what competition breeds, especially at that position. So sounds very good at Ole Miss right now. Uh, That's a program, frankly, after last season, I had a ton of concern about. Uh, There were questions about whether the head coach was still going to be there. And then, of course, you're losing Matt Corral. You're losing a lot of talent. And they, they rebounded in a big way. It also lost coaches. It rebounded in a big way. So Ole Miss looks to have steadied the ship, and they're going to be a serious player again this year. Also wanted to hit on LSU. A lot of talk about quarterback down there. We've we got plenty of time to do that. But I'll tell you the biggest headline coming out of Baton Rouge right now is the name John Emery. John Emery is a guy that it feels like for the last decade we have talked with each other, and I've said, is this the year that John Emery is going to be a true Number one tailback in the SEC. So far, the answer has been no. All the returns from down there are that that's changing. That's a big deal, especially at a place where you don't have a surefire first-round lock uh, quarterback at your disposal. Got some good options, but it really would behoove LSU to have a strong run game. Now, I'll tell you what else is happening down there. Will Campbell, former major prospect there, has moved to left tackle. And they've got Wire and Doomerville, a couple of guys fighting for the right tackle spot. Now, if you follow LSU closely, you'll know how 
very hilarious this quote was from, I think it was the Go 24-7 board, when someone said, are we seriously moving tackles to guard? Because it's always been the opposite down there. Someone said, the quote for LSU football has been LSU, where guards come or where tackles come to play, where guards come to be starting tackles since 2008. That's always been the case. You've always read LSU practice reports, and this former left guard or this former center or right guard is out here playing right tackle, and people wonder, when in the world are we finally going to have tackles playing tackle? Well, now not only do they have that, they got tackles kicking down inside. How about that? What a day in Baton Rouge. Those are some things that are happening right now. We obviously have plenty more spring games to go, so... Those are some of the whispers and intel that we're hearing. Can't fit it in in an entire show or we would literally be on air three hours. A lot going on right now, so keep it locked here for that. I've got something in front of me, so I just want to let you know something, okay? I don't ever do it this way, but I do want to let you know something because it would be wrong of me not to. At Academy Sports and Outdoors, they carry all the gear you need for spring and sunshine. Their words, literally, not mine and all at prices that you'll love. You see, I normally freestyle the ad read, but I did want you to know, for example, they've got patio furniture, they've got a colorful collection, guys, not just some random gray and black collection, a colorful collection of water sports gear and apparel, shopping at Academy, more convenient than ever, and, and I didn't know this quite literally until right now, they offer free assembly on in-store purchases of most bikes and grills which is so kind and benevolent of them. Look, real talk now. Academy Sports and Outdoors is what you would call a ride or die. We've only got one of them on this show for a reason. And so, Academy Sports and Outdoors is just what I highly recommend for your everyday life, because chances are, I mean, if you're a fully functioning human being, there are multiple things inside that store you're gonna need. I just don't want you going anywhere else to buy them. Go to the place that helps us bring you the show for free. Academy Sports and Outdoors, quite literally your one-stop shop for I would safely say 90% of the things you need in life. And for the other 10%, Zales maybe, I don't know, some kind of fine jeweler. But as for the normal everyday stuff, Academy, got you covered. Colorful variety. What more could you want? And they'll put it together for you in all likelihood. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Hey, I wanted, to, I wanted to bring you something as we dive back into the show. I love reading the YouTube comments. I read every single one of them. I reply to as many as I can, but I read all of them. I got this the other day. This is my kind of person, the person who made this comment. So we were talking the other day about putting together the perfect program. Remember that, where we were doing the perfect fight song and the perfect entrance, perfect midfield logo? 
And so I put together this like this Mr. Potato Head conglomeration of all the things I love about college football. And it was, it was like I just said, it was a grab bag from all across the country. And then I look in the comment section the next morning, and this is what I see. Quote, only a shattered mind using imaginary producers, harsh allegation, would choose red as a home color for his charging bull mascot on the sidelines to see, while using a tiger's eye as his midfield logo, oddly enough, with the final cruelty being steep inclines and declines, serving as the entry and exit ways to a stadium he's built into the side of a mountain. I now question if a franchise as shrewd and professional as Academy Sports and Outdoors would have ever even partnered with such a man, or if these two are but more rantings of a diseased mind perpetuating an elaborate hoax. That quote brought to you by Anonymous in our comment section. We move on. Two things have become pretty obvious to me over the past couple of months. The first is I believe in Arkansas. I think they're going to do big things. The second is not a lot of you are on board with me, judging by my inbox. But we're not going to solve that tonight, although I do want to play you something, because that's okay. Look, when we disagree, I'll be happy to accept your apologies down the road. It's happened before. It's going to happen again. You and I know it. But I did have something on this Sunday night here, what, April 10th, the year of our Lord, 2022, that I wanted you to hear. Now, you know who Barry Odom is. If you don't, Barry Odom is the current defensive coordinator at Arkansas. He's the former head coach at Missouri. Guy's been around the block, guy's a lifer, knows the game very well, and importantly, when we're about to roll this clip, he has experienced the game from multiple perspectives up to and including head coach. So with that in mind, we're going to play you something here. I want you to listen to it. This is Barry Odom, Arkansas defensive coordinator, and we will talk about it when we come back. The culture that Sam Pittman has every day in our working environment, you can't beat it. Uh, I don't, you know, I've not worked that many places, but you can't tell me it's better somewhere else. I think we've got a great uh, administrative support. The fan base is the, the best I've ever seen. It's, it's unbelievable. I believe with the team that we have, the way we've been able to recruit, my family is really happy here. I'm excited and happy to be here. I think we can achieve great success here. Uh, so all those things combined, um, if, if there's an opportunity for me to be a, you know, I had opportunities as, you know, in, in um, you know, a couple of things this offseason to be a head coach again. I'm not going to go take a head coaching position again just to say I did it. I don't, I don't need that. My, my ego doesn't need it. I don't need it. I'm having as fun as I've ever had coaching uh, being here. And I don't know if fun has anything to do with it, but I enjoy getting up and going to work every day. The student athletes that I've got a chance to coach right now, they're bought in. They like to play ball. They like to practice. They like to compete. They're doing a great job academically. It's a fun group to be around. Some day, some year, if a head coaching opportunity presents itself, um, then, then I may go make a run at it. But it's got to be the right fit with the right alignment. And, and uh, I feel like Arkansas is a special place. It's pretty real. I mean, pretty straightforward. When I tell you people with options are choosing Arkansas, Barry Odom, the defensive coordinator there, is Exhibit A. And for that matter, Kendall Bryles, the offensive coordinator, is Exhibit 1A. Those are guys with options. These are not retreads. They're not afterthoughts. Both of those guys could have left this past cycle for what you may term greener pastures. That's what's changing in college football right now, in particular in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Do you realize they are one 
of only eight Power 5 teams that have a pair of coordinators returning for their third season or longer, it's a big deal. And that's a lot of consistency that is invaluable in nature. They got a top 10 portal class because just like the coaches, players given options are choosing Arkansas. They got a top five signing class right now for 2023 because players with options are choosing Arkansas. Why does your mind default to that being a red flag? Why does your mind default, for instance, to the way a lot of you end up going when we talk about this? I talk with a lot of you about this. I got buddies I talk to on the phone about this. Think it through for a second. Why does your mind tend to default to thinking of Arkansas as a backup option? Why do you kind of recoil a little bit if anyone ever suggests Arkansas could contend one day for the SEC West or a college football playoff spot? Your mind goes there because your mind defaults to Arkansas being a backup option because they have been. For top-level coaches, for top-level players, you haven't seen them go to Arkansas a whole lot in recent years. You're used to them being a secondary option. I think what's changing right now, you hear it out of their mouths, you see it in their actions, is college football is slowly starting to realize what they realized a little while ago in Fayetteville. They're not a backup option anymore. Arkansas football used to be a backup option for a lot of coaches and a lot of players. Arkansas is not a backup option. They're a destination now. And a lot of people are going to continue to realize that. Look, I, the good news for me, since I happen to believe in the vision and there and the, and the direction, is I don't really have to bank on something intangible. Like we're looking at the guys they just got in the transfer portal. Jaden Hazelwood couldn't have gone to two dozen programs. He went to Arkansas. He chose to go there. Drew Sanders was one of the top prospects in the country uh, two cycles ago that went to Alabama. Drew Sanders got banged up and Dallas Turner, who's just a total freak of nature, takes his job. That's the reason that Drew Sanders wasn't going to be playing in Alabama as much. Quite frankly, he was still going to be playing. I say that to tell you, Drew Sanders could have gone pretty much anywhere in the country he wanted to. Those are dudes with options who chose Arkansas. So moving forward, you're going to continue to see this. And look, if you watch them this spring or if you end up watching them this fall, they're going to be a version of the same team you saw last year. K.J. Jefferson's still a quarterback. He's coming back. But when you watch them tee it up against Cincinnati in week one and they got South Carolina in week two, they play A&M in the first month of the season. You know, that guy we just heard from, Barry Odom, going to have as much speed on defense as he's ever had there. They're going to have more weapons offensively than they've had there, including guys like Hazelwood coming in from the transfer portal. Uh, they are going to be a very good team. I'll tell you the other thing in your subconscious that's one of the only remaining hurdles between you and your mind embracing Arkansas the way that your boy here already has is that SEC sticker on their helmet you know who they have to play every year. Fact of the matter is, I think we all know this is true. If you were to put a Big 12 helmet sticker, but keep the program the same, or put an ACC helmet sticker, but keep the rest of the program the same, it's probably a playoff team last year, guys, and certainly could be a playoff contender this year. If I took everything about that program and I put them, I put them in uh, Lubbock, Texas, that'd be a playoff contender. You'd believe in them too, because you know, even though some of you claim otherwise, that schedule and strength thereof is extremely disproportionate in this game. Therefore, you are not always what your record says you are. Translation, 9-4 and four in Fayetteville, Arkansas could have been 11-1 and one or better in many other outposts in college football. So I'm excited. I'm very excited. Very, very solid potential destination for our yet-to-be-named Week 1 tour this fall. 
We are accepting names as we speak. Renaissance tour was good. How do we make it even better? Hey, they're watching us tonight in Rochester Hills, Michigan. I bet there's an Arkansas fan or two even up there. Shenzhen, China is tuned in, as is Cottonwood, Arizona. Uh, before we move on here to the Q&A portion of the show, I want to tell you something. I fell to peer pressure. Now, kids, if you're watching, don't ever fall victim to peer pressure, except in very, very specific circumstances like this one. So for a long time, you guys, not all of you, but a huge chunk of you, have begged me to be on Cameo. I have resisted, mainly because I just didn't feel like it. What is Cameo? Cameo is where you drop a couple of coins on an app, and in exchange, I send you anything from a happy birthday to a shout out to what many of you have already booked me to do, and that is send a video to one of your friends who is an expansionist or a casual, and you have things that you want to say to them through me. I'm your puppet now. I'm on Cameo. It happened. It's official. So if you are so inclined, the link is on my Twitter profile, at LateKickJosh. We're moving on. We've got some really good Q&A here tonight. I, I know what that's about to do. Colin, you watch. Jesse, you mark my words. My, my profile will be a disaster when we get off the air tonight. But that's the name of the game. Okay, so um, this, this actually requires me to pull up this Twitter profile. I am beside myself with a poll result from earlier today, just in the last couple of hours, and it's still there after 4,000 votes. Okay. Uh, so Orlando Chiefs asked us a question. He said, why does it seem like the Miami dynasty was so well received, but the Alabama dynasty is labeled as bad for football? And he's checking in from Douglasville, Georgia. Now I looked at this question and I laughed at it. I did not laugh at the question asker. I laughed at the question because anybody who thinks the Miami dynasty was well received in its time either wasn't alive is suffering crippling amnesia, or is suffering from what I think a lot of folks in this poll I'm about to tell you about are suffering from, and that is some hardcore revisionist history and or recency bias. It's tough to overstate how despised Miami was through the 80s and 90s and even the early 2000s. It is impossible for me to tell you, and I know good and well some of you are 19 years old, and outside of the 30 for 30 documentary, you cannot have understood properly what it was like when Jimmy Johnson or going back to Howard Snellenberger were doing what they were doing. It's very, very hard for me to put into words how hated they were because it was about more than football. And I think most of you understand exactly what I'm talking about. But if you don't, I go on Twitter about an hour before the show because I thought I was sure where you guys were going to go. And it looks like I just whiffed. And I went on Twitter and I put out the following question. More Hated dynasty, Miami or modern day Alabama? I kid you not, I expected this to be 70 30 or even 80 20 Miami. And sure enough, it is the exact opposite. 58.6% of you, as of one hour later, have voted Alabama as being more hated than Miami. Look, I know it's your opinion, and I asked you for your opinion. I don't know what else to say. You're wrong. You're just wrong. Even those of you who are expressing your own opinion, I've never said this before on air, your opinion is wrong. If you think Alabama, present day, is more hated or even close, I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be it's not even close guy. It's Miami. It's not even close. Not only was Miami not accepted, 
Miami was despised nationally. Folks hate Alabama for football reasons. Folks hated Miami for social reasons. Folks looked at Miami and, and they were completely disgusted about everything they stood for. People look at Alabama and they just get pissed off because they can't beat them. At Miami, it extended well beyond football. The first time I was ever allowed to stay up past my bedtime was the national championship game between these two programs. It was such a huge deal in the South. Folks outside of Tuscaloosa, forget Alabama, folks in Athens, they'll never tell you. They'll never admit it. There were some folks around Auburn who even pulled for Alabama because they thought it meant so much culturally for a Southern program that played hard-nosed, rock-rib defense to serve Miami. And they did, right down there in New Orleans, 34-13 the final. I don't know what more to tell you. Look, people, normally when they get mad at a dynasty, it, it could be USC or it could be these two, normally the anger is misguided. If you're really honest with yourself, most of the time when you hate these programs, you're really hating your own program, not, not hating your program. Your anger is misguided. You are, you are deflecting and rechanneling your anger towards your own inept administration or your program's lack of ability to recruit at a high level and develop even though they have all the resources and facilities at programs that are being able to do it. And that's all that is with Alabama, modern day. I mean, Alabama, look, how many times lately, think about the past year alone, have you found yourself hating that crimson A, but saying to yourself, man, Saban says a lot of good stuff. Like, I, I don't like the guy at all, and I wish he'd retire yesterday, but man, I respect a lot about that organization. It's a model for what I wish my workplace was, and he says so many things that extend beyond football. Dude, no one was saying that about Miami. I'm just telling you they weren't. They were not. Ask people in Lincoln, Nebraska. Ask people in South Bend, Indiana. Ask people in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Ask the folks that ran up against Miami. What was your motivation for beating them? It was so much more than just winning a football game. Oh, it was so much more. And if you could have taken a poll of America back then, folks in South Florida know this better than anyone. That's why they loved it so much. They embraced it so much. I'd be the same way if I were you guys. If you could have taken a poll nationally back then, I guarantee you the results in this poll would have been totally inverted, and even more harshly. Nationally, it was hardcore anti-Miami, because you were watching Miami and you were very, very mad at the prospect that, um, are they going to be able to keep all those South Florida athletes from the rest of us forever? Because if they are, when is this ever going to stop? Now, nothing perfect lasts forever. You've seen the A River Runs Through It poster like I have. Nothing perfect lasts forever except in your memory. That's what they're chasing down there right now. Mario Cristobal walks in the door. That's what they're chasing right now. But man, to say that Miami's dynasty was well-received by whomst? Carl and Coral Gables? You know, Ned and Naples? Uh, I can guarantee you outside of South Florida, it was not well-received at all. Now, I'm not telling you the Bama dynasty has been any better received. But when people recoil at the idea of Alabama, it's just cause of football. It was, man, it was about so much more with Miami. So I can't believe this. You know what? Maybe it changed. Maybe it's a typo. Let me hit refresh. Three minutes later, uh, the poll's the exact same. 58.4% think Alabama's the more despised dynasty. I, I just, I don't miss, I, I don't miss like that on our audience. I don't miss like that. And yet I miss totally tonight. All right, let's move on. 
Uh, big week here for Oregon. So, so let's get the question first. Uh, Timmy at Eugene asks, how do you think Dan Lanning will fare at Oregon? He's a young guy, but already hitting on the recruiting trail. Hashtag Pate State, very important to add on the end. This has been a big week and a big weekend for Oregon. So Josh Connerly, for those unaware, was the final blue chip five-star guy that was in the 2022 class. He's a five-star offensive tackle, I believe from Washington State up there. And it looked for all the world over the past couple of weeks like he was trending towards USC, and he was. But you know where he landed? He landed at the University of Oregon. And he told Brandon Huffman, our West Coast guy, told him afterwards, it was USC for a while. But in the end, uh, Oregon ended up winning this thing for me. That's a big deal. Perception's huge here, obviously, but the actual player equally is huge. It's a big deal because of what Dan Landing's been talking about out there. You know, Mario Cristobal in that era was very important. Like, I know some people are still rubbed the wrong way for whatever reason uh, that the guy left you. He left you to go quite literally home. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. But be that as it may, okay, whether you like the way he left or not or like that he left or not, it's important that he did what he did while he was there because what he did was he changed perception nationally. Like, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and I can tell you people in the South think differently about Oregon than they did five years ago. Five years ago, the belief about Oregon football was, yeah, you could have a Chip Kelly come through, but the way they're going to have to win is the path that college football dictates they have to take. In other words, there weren't, there weren't limitless possibilities. There's a very specific way you have to win at Oregon. Well, then Cristobal comes in and he says, actually, what I'm just going to do is I'm going to go recruit elite athletes coast to coast and no state will be off limits. And we're going to win however we want to up here. We're going to get the kind of athletes we want. And you're not going to dictate anything for us. We will dictate our terms of how we want to run the program. What offense? What defense? What kind of athlete we want? And you know what? They did it. They did it. And that's why Dan Lanning entering at the time he enters and with the profile he enters with is so important. And that's why this perception is very important. Because the perception is, to me, reality. And that is, if they can continue to recruit at the level or even comparable to the level they were under Cristobal, what if they hit home runs with this coaching staff on multiple fronts? You know, what if they do have a very dynamite recruiting staff in there? What if we have an equal to or better on-field coaching product? You know, what if NIL gets, gets leveraged here like it should at Oregon? And what if all of a sudden what felt like one time a big loss for us ends up being a blessing in disguise, and don't forget this part, because of the guy who left us to go to Miami. It's a big part of this, whether anyone wants to admit it there or not. Mario Cristobal is a big part of this, but this is Dan Landing's program now. And the fact that he just took a guy who was trending heavily towards USC, it's one recruitment, so let's pump the brakes there. It's one recruitment, but man, it's, it's such a big indicator. Because he's, he's spoken, he being Dan Landing, has spoken at length over the past month or so about how Oregon's unique, and I'm paraphrasing him, I wish I had the exact quote, but he said something to the effect of, Oregon's the only place that you're going to come on the West Coast where you have that college experience. You can go to USC, but they don't have what we have to offer. They have some things we don't have to offer, but if you want what makes college football great, and you don't have to sacrifice the NIL potential to come here and get it, then Oregon's the place to go. 
They believe that. They better believe it. They're going to have to ultra-aggressively take that message out on the recruiting trail, which obviously they're already doing. This is not a place that's going to hurt on the NIL front. In fact, I think they should embrace it, and they have. So I, I love everything I've heard up there, but it's words. I mean, Dan Lanning's never been the head coach for a college football game in his life, so it's words right now. But every box they can possibly have checked so far, they have checked. So I can't think anything but good things about Dan Lanning right now. All right, we want to wrap it up here with something that's controversial, even though I don't really think it should be. Not my earpiece falling out. There's no controversy there. It's just bad. But this is what I'm talking about. Tony Tiger Talking Head hit us up and said, why is Dabo Swinney so out of touch when it comes to the transfer portal and NIL? All these great programs go in there, and yet he refuses to get off his high horse to do it too. So there are a lot of takes out there. I saw some floating around today. And a lot of times, they're so badly mischaracterized. I'm just giving you my opinion because that's what they tell me to do on this show. There are a lot of folks who would look you in the eye and swear to you that Dabo Swinney is on record as saying, players shouldn't be paid. And that is not what he has said. And if he said it in the past, I can tell you his most recent comments are not that. So don't go check the tape. Go check his most recent comments. You will not find Dabo Swinney telling you players shouldn't be able to profit off NIL. But let's get back to that in a second because the question was also about the transfer portal. You will also have people swear to you that Dabo Swinney will not go in the portal. He has said that he will never use the portal. And that's also not true. Uh, in fact, he, he's talked this spring extensively about what their plan is for evaluating kids in the portal. What his stance, though, is, is he doesn't want to use it, doesn't want to, understands that the tide is shifting and he may have to. It's funny that they have taken one kid so far, and that, I think, was Hunter Johnson, who had left the program and who wanted to come back as a coach. And Dabo said, still want to play? Did you know you have a year of eligibility? You want to play? Yeah, I want to play. Okay, come, come still be a college football player. So it's not exactly the most, um, the most radical of transfer portal additions, but they've done it. I don't doubt they'll end up adding kids out of the portal. Look, this guy has got principles and values he stands on just like anyone. Um, some people don't have any principles and values, and so their opinion tends to shift with the breeze, and they just think whichever way the breeze is blowing. Here is my thought about this. I understand the sentiment. I understand where he's coming from. And the reason I don't get all bent out of shape, even though I don't agree with Dabo Swinney all the time, the reason I don't get bent out of shape is because I would be the biggest hypocrite in the world if I sat here behind this microphone and said, boy, I wish coaches would just be real with us. I wish they'd just be honest with us. And then when one does step up and is totally brutally honest with you, you just castigate him left and right. I don't have to agree with everything that guy says. Find me someone I do agree across the board with. I, they're, they're not out there. They don't exist. But what I appreciate about Dabo Swinney is he doesn't really waffle. Every time he opens his mouth on these subjects, it's the same general sentiment. He doesn't just tell you what he believes. He tells you why he believes it, whether you agree or whether you disagree. Set that to the side for a second. What I'm telling you is I appreciate the honesty even when it may not benefit him in terms of PR. And the second thing I appreciate is I don't doubt his motivation truly is what's best for the game. So I don't share that opinion that some people have about him in that he's just out for himself. 
He's just looking out for himself. He only wants what's best for Dabo Swinney. I don't believe that about him because I believe his actions support my opinion on this. He's been around quite a while, guys. You don't have to guess about Dabo Swinney. So anyway, that's part one of that. I appreciate his honesty. Part two, I would feel the same way about the transfer portal. I would go into that thing kicking and screaming. I'm telling you the way I personally would run a program is I would understand that I'm probably going to need to use this thing because I have access to it. And if I don't take advantage of it, I'm voluntarily, potentially voluntarily putting my program at a competitive disadvantage. And I'm not just accountable to me. I'm accountable to the entire organization. That's the way I'd go about it. I wouldn't like it, though. I mean, I'd feel the same way Dabo Swinney does about it. But back to the NIL thing for a second, because that's where a lot of the true controversy is. The transfer portal stuff, people hope he doesn't go in there because they think it's going to disadvantage Clemson. But as for the NIL stuff, first off, a lot of people are just dead wrong about characterizing his viewpoint on it. He's not anti-players getting paid. He's anti the professionalization of college athletics, which I am too. Um, What he has said essentially equates to this. It'd be the same thing as if you were standing on a street corner and I told you it's really stupid to eat 13 Big Macs a week. I didn't tell you you shouldn't have the right to do it. And his stance on NIL is kind of the same way. It's, look, I get why players should be able to profit off their name, image, and likeness. And I think they should have the right to. But what comes with that and the consequences that come with that, which is what he always talks about, which is players get taken advantage of, and a lot of people hitch their wagons to players and they get terrible advice. It's the same way with the portal. That's why you got thousands of kids floating around in that thing. That's the part that rubs him the wrong way. And the reason I don't get bent out of shape about it is because I'm a believer that more people should speak publicly about that because I've given you my viewpoint on it. So once more, I'm all for NIL if it's properly utilized, which it's not in a lot of cases, but if it's properly utilized, oh, I'm all for NIL. Have no problem with it. But also, you have to understand there are going to be a lot of risks and there are going to be a lot of consequences uh, because you, you enact something, and in this case, NIL and the ability to profit off your name, image, and likeness, well, number one, you got a whole mess of other problems that the NCAA is ill-equipped to legislate and to regulate. But then the other part is you may have kids making decisions for what you think are wrong reasons. That may be right. That may be wrong reasons. You got to let lessons get learned. And for a guy who's come up in a very old school type of way and a guy who had to you know, walk his way on to Alabama and a guy who had to work his way up the ladder to become a coach, You've been so used to things being one way and they're shifting. And this is not the first time that someone has struggled with the world around them changing. You and I deal with it all the time in our day-to-day lives. We're not as high profile in nature as Davos Winnie is, but we've all dealt with that. But I'm interested to watch these next couple of years there because I don't have any inside information on this. I'm going to tell you how he strikes me. Davos Swinney strikes me as a guy who would follow totally through on his core beliefs on this. If it gets worse in his eyes, Dabo Swinney is the kind of guy who would retire from this game. He would, I guarantee you, he would walk away from this game in what many people would define as his prime because he's financially set. I don't think it's about finance with him. I really believe him when he says that, by the way. Uh, But I don't think it's about that. It would help that he is financially set. I think he's the kind of guy who would say, 
this isn't the game I want to be a part of anymore. I think, I think that's actually the kind of guy Debus Winnie is. He's never told me that. He's welcome on the show. I would love to have him on the show. I don't have any inside information on that. That's nothing I've heard, so I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm just saying I appreciate that he speaks his mind, even when I may disagree with it from time to time. I appreciate that he's honest about it, and he says a lot of times what needs to be said, but for whatever reason, a lot of folks either are in a position where they can't say it, or they don't want to upset the apple cart, or they don't want to have their quotes taken out of context and put in front of recruits and get negative recruited against. All that happens with him, he knows it, and he's willing to speak publicly anyway. So that I appreciate, and I appreciate you guys being tuned in tonight. Uh, make sure you are following on all the social platforms, at Late Kick Josh, and please make sure you are subscribed to the podcast, as well as the YouTube channel, which, by the way, are two separate things. Here's what we've got this week. A very dangerous setup in the Midwest, Arkansas, places of that nature. So I will be shooting west, probably Monday night. Could see you in Oklahoma. Could see you in Kansas. Could see you in Arkansas, Missouri, Texas. Don't know yet. Just know that we expect some tornado and uh, tornadic action this week. So if you don't follow on the Instagram channel, it's a really good place to be following, especially when we do storm chases. So that's not college football related. That's just life related. So if you see me at a gas station and it's, uh, let's pick it's Hot Springs, Arkansas, don't be freaked out. Don't be alarmed. Until next time, for producer Jesse, for director Colin, for our entire production executive team, I'm Josh Bate. Have a great start to your week, and God bless. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.